Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. At that point means that it's, it's disappeared into just the money that you have, but you've got a mental account for it. Now, what makes this interesting is that our mental accounts suffer from all the other biases that any any other kind of mental or cognitive process has, which is we're not real good at keeping track of these things. We recently bought a new garage roof. Mm-hmm. It was like five grand for a garage roof. And you're thinking, bloody hell, five, you know, and I don't get up on the bloody garage roof and go, that's a nice garage roof. Look at that garage roof. That's a lovely garage roof, you know. Here's the question. Have one of your parents died recently? <laughs> that's, that's not creepy at all. There's no way that could go wrong. I like it. Ryan, I've recently booked a vacation. Very nice. It is. We're looking forward to it. We're going on a cruise and we're going to India. Oh, wow. That'll be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. So um, I'm a great lover of curries, so I'm sure I'm going to have lots of them over there. Yes. The reason I mention this is because it sort of was a great example, I thought, of this thing called mental accounting that we're going to talk about today. Because when we booked it, Lorraine, my wife, turned around to me and she said, uh, she said, oh, that's, that's nice. We're going on this vacation. And I said, yeah. She said, because Lorraine's mum, as you're aware, died a couple of years ago. She said, that's my mum's money that's paying for that. And I went, yeah, yeah. And then I thought, you know what? We've spent that money 27 times. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's amazing how it gets sort of allocated into, well, we didn't really have that money before, but we've got it now so we can spoil ourselves by having it. Yeah, there are various rules that people have around found money. So like if you get a bonus that you weren't expecting or if you get you know an investment payoff that you weren't expecting, find money in your pockets. And people tend to treat that money differently. Like, oh, this is an opportunity to, to treat myself or this is something that yes. I use in a special way. Yes, that's exactly it. And it and the other day, and I don't know if this is uh, mental accounting, and I'll ask you to uh, explain it in a minute. Uh, but the other day, the other thing I noticed was I went to a grocery store and I bought like $100 of, of groceries. And I probably spent like an hour going around getting So stuff. given the way inflation is $100, you bought like... Like four bananas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Then I went into the gas station and I spent $100 filling the tank up, okay? And I thought, isn't it interesting mm-hmm. that my perception of value yeah. was that the grocery store was a lot more money than the gas that I just bought? Isn't that interesting that I'm sort of – they're clearly equivalent amounts, but I put more value on the grocery store food than I did from the gas that I was filling up with.
I'm not sure if that example falls into this, but maybe you can explain to everybody what mental accounting is. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that that example could fall into to mental accounting. So before we, we get into mental accounting, let's set some ground rules to understand why what we're going to talk about here is surprising and uh, usually constitutes a bias. Usually we talk about mental accounting in terms of the biases that it produces. So one of the magical things about money, maybe it's most magical property, is that it is fungible. So fungible is a nice fancy $3 word for something that is infinitely transferable. So if you get money into your bank account, that money can be used for anything. Like that's its purpose, right? You could pay for dance lessons with it. You could pay your mortgage with it. Once you've got the money, the money is the money and you can use it anywhere you want to. That's arguably why we have money is because we can spend it then on anything. So mental accounting then takes this wonderful property of money, which is that it can be used for anything. We arbitrarily divide it up in our heads and earmark it in some way. We like set some of it aside mentally so that money is no longer fungible in the way that it otherwise should be. And instead, we, we create these mental accounts, usually strictly within our heads. That is a bit like my vacation example. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, your wife, and it sounds like you two, have a, a mental account for inheritance money from mom. Um, yeah. And that then is a separate pool of money. Now, you you could have created a physical account, right? You could have put all sure. the inheritance money into a separate account in your bank and drawn from that as needed to pay for certain things. Uh, it sounds like you didn't. It sounds like it went into the the pool of all the other money that you have, which at that point means that it's it's disappeared into just the money that you have. But you've got a mental account for it. Now, what makes this interesting is that our mental accounts suffer from all the other biases that any any other kind of mental or cognitive process has, which is we're not real good at keeping track of these things, right? So, you know, to your point, there's a mental account for mom's inheritance money. We kind of draw on that willy-nilly as we need to, to feel better about certain, right? Because if you if you took it out of like your retirement account, like then you'd feel bad about that. But if it comes out of mom's inheritance account, well, then that money was intended. Mom wanted us to treat ourselves. Mom wanted us to enjoy our, our lives. And so we feel less bad about spending that mental account than we would another mental account. That's part of why we do it. So I presume, therefore, if it's fungible, then it applies to other things that are fungible. Sure. Do you have any in mind? Well, no. No. Okay. Well, no. No. In fact, I do actually. Okay. Because in pre-thinking about this, I was actually thinking about time. Yes. Yeah. You remember that we talked to Joe Pine, and we'll put a link in the show notes about his three bits about time well spent, time well saved, and time well invested. And I think it's interesting that you then start to put a different value on those things so it's a bit like the, my grocery store example you know and the gas well think think about the three words that he used to describe time those are all money words right right spend yeah. as you save yeah uh, no, that's a good point never thought about that before 
Yeah, and it it's not. I mean, it was a nice observation that that Joe made. There there is research into this, and it's not that we treat mentally time and money is exactly the same. We don't. There are differences. There are some key differences, but there's also a lot of similarities, right? In terms of how you you spend your time, how you use your time, we will mentally allocate time in similar ways, and so. This is an, an individual difference. Some people are more this way than others, but I, I have a, a colleague who lives in France who researches this specifically, and she says that there's two types of people who think about time, and some of them think about the time as just kind of a series of tasks that need to be done, and other people actually have mental accounts for time. So it's like, oh, oh I'm going to, for the next hour, I'm going to spend that doing this. And then the next hour and a half after that, I'm going to spend that doing this. And that type of person, the person who mentally allocates their time, is much less flexible in terms of what they do. So if you've set aside an hour to work on preparing for the podcast, and then your internet goes down and you can't spend that time preparing for the podcast, if you're that type of person who's mentally allocated that time, you'll waste that hour. Like you won't move on to the next task. It's like, no, no, this is the time that was allocated for this task. And if I can't do it, I have a very hard time just kind of like moving on and doing something else. Right. Because I've got a mental account for time. Now, not everybody is like that. She's, she's identified that some people naturally are and some people aren't. And similar with mental accounting of money, you know, some people will, will do more of this and some less. We see similar patterns in the, the way people think about time and money. So let's go back to the money bit, because I think that has implications for customer experience, doesn't it? Let me give you another example, which I think sort of talks about both those areas. And this is one of my daughters, my eldest daughter. She has a physical account and a mental account for vacation funds. Yeah. Okay. Vacations are really important in our family. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) The Shahs cannot wait to get out of England. Like that's what Correct. I'm hearing. Yeah. Absolutely. So she has a she has a mental account and a physical account, but she actually spends more. And when you say to her, "Okay, you need to buy a new washing machine or whatever else," she acts as if she hasn't got any money. But actually, if you looked at the money she's put into a vacation account, because occasionally I've said to her, "Look, you're putting all that bloody money into your vacation, just." take out $500 from that? What's the issue? No, that's my vacation. I can't take that out of my vacation account. You go, well, don't tell me that you haven't got enough money then because you have. It's just that you don't want to spend it on those things, which I can understand that I can understand washing machines are not as much fun as vacations. Old stand for you to take, Colin. (laughs) Mind you, those are the vacations that are with me. So maybe maybe they (laughs) maybe a washing machine is more fun than a vacation with me. (laughs) There's the basic mental accounting, which your daughter's given a great example of. We allocate these funds in various ways. That can then spill over into physical accounts as well, right? So we can actually, this is good advice that, that is given for people to get control of their budgets because these mental accounts are a little bit slippery. We illustrated with the, your wife's inheritance money. We can push those mental accounts out into the physical world, and that will help us better manage our budgets. And so that that's part of why that's a, that works, and that's a good idea. There are also a number of implications that kind of extend from the basic mental accounting paradigm. 
Before we, we get into those implications, though, one of the, the early demonstrations of this, and you've already given several kind of good examples that I think people resonate with. This has been tested. Kahneman and Tversky, two of the people that we mentioned a lot in this podcast, they had this early demonstration of mental accounting where they, they had this hypothetical scenario where they asked people to imagine that they wanted to go to a concert. And in one condition, people said that they'd already bought the concert ticket for whatever, $20. And then the other condition, people said that they'd already like, they were going to go and buy the ticket at the theater, right? But they had cash in their pocket to do that. When these two groups of people got to the theater, one person reached into their pocket to get their ticket out and they find that they had lost the ticket. So they would need to then buy another ticket for $20 in order to get in. The other group reached into their pocket to get their money to buy and they discovered that they were missing $20 that they thought that they'd had, right? So... Both groups were in the same situation where they were down $20, yeah. one because they'd lost a ticket, one because they'd lost the $20 bill. And so both of them had to face this choice of, do you buy a ticket so that you could get into this concert you wanted to go to? Those are functionally the same situation, right? The, those should be equivalent. But what they found is that people who had already bought the ticket were less willing to buy another ticket relative <laughs> to the people who had lost $20 they yeah, were yeah. more likely to be willing to buy the ticket anyway, even though they Yeah, because they'd, so already it, bought, they'd already bought one, and I'm not right, buying yeah, a second it, one. Kahneman and Tversky's yeah. genius is that they develop these hypothetical situations that most people go like, yeah, I would absolutely behave that way. <laughs> like, even as we read yeah. them both and we, we recognize that doesn't make any yeah. sense, we still feel like, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't want to buy another ticket. That feels wasteful, um, yeah. even though you're out the same $20 in both. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good example. Mind yeah. you, if I went to my wallet and found it, I'd lost $20, it had probably been taken by, by my daughter to put into <laughs> a washing machine fund. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, she's, well, she's out of money. She's got to save that. Money. Yeah. We've got these mental accounts. There, there's all these various kind of implications of them. We should realize that, that a lot of this mental accounting is ways of managing emotions. If we spend money from certain things, uh, from certain accounts, then we will feel more or less guilty about that, or we will feel more or less good about that. And so you can strategically create mental accounts so that you can manage your emotions in positive or negative ways, either ways that are, are good for you or sometimes that are not good for you. So one of the mental accounting tricks that we play on ourselves that is not good is that we can separate out the pain of payment from the, I guess, kind of the joy of consumption by separating those into to different mental accounts. So anytime you pay for something, there's, there's a little bit of psychological pain associated with that. So when you hand over money, you're recognizing you're giving that up, you're never going to get it back. And so there's a little bit of pain, even if you like what it is that you're buying, there's a little bit of that pain. But they, what they found is that because of mental accounting, if you pay with, a, say, a credit card, We've now separated that into a different mental account for the payment than we do for the consumption. So you're getting whatever it is you bought immediately, and that feels great. And the pain of payment is now put off to a future date that you don't need to worry about. So it reduces the pain of payment. This is part of why credit cards can be financially a little bit dangerous for some of us, because we've now separated out that pain of payment. There's less of a restraint on our spending. And then later when the bill comes due, it's very diffuse. It's it's aggregate. It's across the whole month. We don't feel the pain of anything in particular. Sure. And so that can be kind of a, a dangerous thing for us. That's an implication of, of mental accounting. 
Colin and I are always looking for new opportunities for you as the listener to contribute to the show. We love hearing from you and hearing what problems you want solved and what opinions you have. So we've developed a new feature called None of Us Are As Clever As All Of Us. Colin, do you want to explain that briefly to our listeners? Yeah, we're very conscious that Ryan and I do not have the monopoly on good ideas. We sure you have some great ideas, that you've got some great opinions. You may even have a new report that you want to share with us. So all we want you to do is to click on the link below and submit your thoughts, and then you can appear on the show. So we want to hear from you if you've got something to tell us. We also still have our pickle feature, which is where you can ask us for help. So if you've got a pickle you need solved, you can submit an audio recording of that. You can send us an email and we'll answer your problem. Or if you've got a great idea, you can send us a video for our none of us are as clever as all of us. But Colin, there's a new feature I want to add to this regime, this, this list of ways that people can participate, which is I'm going to encourage our listeners to just show up at your house. If you want to, just knock on Colin's door. He'll give you access to his computer, to his microphones, and you can tell us in that way whatever you want to tell us. I don't know if you know, mate, but I'm actually moving to your house. So it won't be my house that they'll be knocking on. We've got to end this advertisement right now. <laughs> so let me ask you a couple of questions then, because yeah. you've made me think. I apologize. <laughs> it's a new, new experience for me, so it's quite novel. The first thing is, for the listener, I would encourage you to think about what do your customers, the product or service that you're selling, yeah? What mental account are your customers putting? What box are they putting it in? Okay, so that's that's the sort of the first thing I would say. Just hopefully to, for people to put this a bit in a bit of context for themselves. I mean, so can I interrupt you there? Because I think this yeah. is a really key point, right? So if you want to if you want to implement this in your business, a lot of the stuff that we buy could reasonably fit into multiple mental accounts, and so. There may be ways of framing the purchase or of nudging your customer to think about your purchase in one way or another. So, you know, yeah. you and I did a consulting project with a home renovation company that um, replaced windows and doors and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That could be framed mentally as a, a home improvement project, right? So this when is something you, when that... you say framed and windows, was that a, an intentional <laughs> pun or? <laughs> That was that was not. <laughs> have, you been trying, have you been trying to work that joke into the whole conversation for the last, you know, twenty minutes or what? Yeah, no, twenty minutes. No, this has been three months in the making. <laughs> I've been planning this out for a long time. Um, yeah, I also talked about the pain of payment. And now we're talking about windows. So we got frames. We got pains. This is all tying together. Yeah, I'm glad this is making sense for people because it's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> so. You can get people to think about replacing their windows in terms of like basic home maintenance, right? You could get them to think about it in terms of beautification project for their home. So this is going to increase the value of your home. This is an investment. You could frame it in terms of it being kind of a self-expressive thing. So, you know, this is going to make your house more beautiful. And so you can like, you know, show it off to the neighbors and, and those it's all, it's still the same price. <laughs> yeah. But, people might allocate that price to different mental accounts and be more or less willing to pay for it and more or less happy with it. And you're going down exactly the route that I was going down, which was, so as you were talking before, I was thinking to myself, yeah, well, you know what? We recently bought a new garage roof 
mm-hmm. it was like five grand for a garage roof. And you're thinking, bloody hell, five, you know, and I don't get up on the bloody garage roof and go, that's a nice garage roof. Look at that garage <laughs> roof. That's a lovely garage roof. You know, I may go in the garage and go, oh, it's not raining in here anymore. <laughs> but you just go, what a waste of money that is, you know. But then on the other side of the fence, you go, yeah, a vacation, which obviously is, you know, is good and all that, all that stuff. Putting it into sort of different boxes and exactly the point you're making here, which is, well, which box are you in? Are you in the box that you want it to be in? Because rather than me go, it's five grand for a garage roof, I could have been going, actually, that makes the house more sellable, that puts et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to save yeah. us money from damages down the road. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, notice, I I didn't have to build, to, notice I didn't have to build any puns to, oh, to make you, that there point. there were puns in there. You just didn't notice them. <laughs> you missed opportunities is what you did. <laughs> Here's another question, sorry, before we go off and down that route. Because it then made me think, so one of the other things that we're doing at the moment is we're looking to get a new kitchen. And it made me think about, as you were talking, about when they say 0% interest. Yeah. Because my mind immediately goes 0% interest. I could probably get, you know, 3 4% interest. Yeah, I could pay them the whole lot, but you know I won't because actually cash is king. I'd have the money. I'll use. I'll get that money as interest, and and now I'm into that whole sort of calculation. But it, it's the way that you're looking at that fund, isn't it? Well, so I mean that that's a great example too because if you have the cash on hand and you could pay upfront, we could pay with mum, uh, Lorraine's mum's money. That's right. There's there's that. <laughs> Full of money that Lorraine's mom wanted you to use to upgrade your kitchen. You could do that and you'd be done with it, but you would incur the pain of payment at that time. And on the margins, that means you're going to be like a little bit less satisfied with the kitchen renovation because now you're experiencing the benefits of that, but also the costs of it simultaneously. And so that's going to kind of pull it down. So if they can convince you to, even if they're not making any more money off of it because it's a 0% entrance loan, psychologically, you may be happier with the the kitchen remodel because they've decoupled the pain from the benefit and got you to pay a little bit. Now, I assume mostly they're doing that because people don't have cash on hand. So I don't want to say this is a a purely mental accounting trick on their part, but there's evidence that you would potentially like more. Now, interestingly, there's also evidence that if we can get you to prepay for it, then you will enjoy that the most. If you get the pain out of the way first, then there's nothing but pleasure when it comes time to consume. So prepaying for vacations especially is a very effective way of really enjoying that vacation because now you don't need to worry about the pain of payment during the the vacation itself. There's another interesting phrase there then, isn't there? Because, and we use this in business, don't we? It's, you know, it's a sunk cost. Yeah. In other words, you can't get it back. Yep. You're past the cancellation period, so it's gone. So you might as well just enjoy it. So it's free or you don't have to pay anything more. So again, it is just the way that you're looking at it, isn't it? The important aspect going back to the 0% interest is from that company's perspective, it's splitting it down into those different segments, isn't it? 0% interest for somebody that can't afford it. Yep. Or 0% interest for somebody that can afford it but wants to 
make money by taking out that zero percent interest and the way and the messaging that you give to those individuals would be different yeah yeah so it may i mean from the company's perspective it makes better financial sense that if somebody's got the cash to pay you immediately you should make them pay you immediately financially that makes sense for the company there may be a customer experience reason for even offering those customers a zero percent interest loan because psychologically they may have a better experience by being able to experience the pain of payment not concurrently with the consumption it was then making me think how do you tell which group of people you're in and you remember i've, I've told you about this golden question yeah so it, it's yeah. a question you could ask a customer that would determine effectively which box that you put in here's the question have one of your parents died recently <laughs> That's, that's not creepy at all. There's no way that could go wrong. I like it. I can imagine going into the kitchen shop and if, if one of your parents died recently. Yeah. Oh, no. No, but they're not looking too well. That, that sounds like a Monty Python sketch um, for selling something. Yeah. yeah. So a more serious point, though, is yeah. it's interesting in it because I don't know if there's been any research, but the whole area now of tapping or paying by Apple phone or whatever I pay with my watch, taking out your wallet and giving them $50 is different to putting a credit card in and then tapping your, you yeah, know, absolutely. back in the day, even signing the things, to now just get in a button and click and, you know, the pain for payment is gone. I mean, it's you don't even think about the bloody thing, do you? You're absolutely correct. So there's, there is research on this and it suggests that there's a continuum of payment methods that have more or less pain of payment associated with them. And, and you're right. Cash is the most painful way to pay. Check is less painful. Credit cards is even less painful. And yeah, I assume that like the more seamless the transaction, you can just tap instead of having to slide and, and punch in numbers that will make it even le less painful still. So. so that's then interesting, isn't it? Because when you then get the notification through that says that you've just paid $50 for this, that could actually increase the pain. Yep. Because <laughs> you're being reminded of the fact that's right. that suddenly you've just paid $500 for whatever it may be. That's or right. So if you, if you tap your credit card then you get to walk away from that transaction and not think about it until the bill comes due in up to 30 days later. So, but if you pay with your Apple watch, then you're going to get a notification 30 seconds later that says, Hey, this amount has been transacted. And I would assume that that will be more painful than the credit card tap, right? Because now you've got, you've got this immediate notification that, that pulls you back in probably still less painful than cash. The most painful instance I've had recently was it was Lorraine's birthday and I decided to pay, uh, I went out to buy her a birthday card and I decided to pay on Apple Pay. And what I didn't realize was that it suddenly appears on her phone because she oh. manages all of our accounts. <laughs> and I hadn't paid that much. For that yeah, account. yeah. I mean, it, there's not a lot of high expectations for a, um, a card, a birthday card. But yeah, if you'd bought her some jewelry, then you would have been in trouble. Yeah, 
yeah so that was that was quite painful when she realized that i didn't spend a lot of money on it okay <laughs> and that you bought it at the very last minute i'm sure let's take a step back again a usual question at this point which is so what interesting subject but what does this mean for people trying to create a great customer experience do you want to go first i'll go back to the uh, one of the implications that we talked about earlier um, which is that there are opportunities to frame your customers purchases in multiple different ways and so potentially think about what are the the categories or what are the mental accounts that would leave your customers most satisfied with the transaction, right? So if you can reframe the the spending in, in such a way that like, you know, going to your gas versus groceries example, there's some types of spending that don't feel bad at all because you expect to pay that. Then there's other types of spending that you feel worse about. Are there ways that you can nudge your customers to think about the purchase in one way or the other? Are there ways that you can encourage your customers to form mental accounts? So I am also in a situation where I have home repairs that need doing. My house is of such an age that like every part of your house has a useful lifetime. Um, I'm at the stage for my particular house. It's it's of an age where all of that stuff is now done. Like, so <laughs> we need, we're going to need to replace each part of the house over the next few years. Uh, and that's painful. So I've I've talked to my wife about we need to set up like mental accounts and maybe even a physical physical account where we just set aside certain money each year, some percentage of of our income, and like that's what we're going to have to spend on on home repair that year because uh, it all needs to be done. And that I think will be less painful to us if we kind of set it aside ahead of time. Sure. Can you sure. encourage your customers to do that? So if, if you've got a major, if you if you're in a B two B sales environment. And you know that your client is going to have a major upgrade in whatever it is that you're selling them. Can you start working with them a few years in advance and say, look, this is coming. It would make sense for you to start setting aside ways to plan for this ahead of time because we don't want this to smack you in the face two years from now. If a company is is mentally kind of setting that stuff aside. Yeah. The other thing to remember is that mental accounting is just one of many, many ways that your customers have of coping with emotions. Mental accounting helps us feel less guilty, helps us feel happier. And so think about mental accounting within the the broader context of managing your customers' emotions. They help us manage those emotions. And so you can help your customers manage their emotions by understanding mental accounting. Yeah. I would add to that. So, I mean, for me, the key thing is just knowing where your customer is and knowing from your perspective where you would like them to be. If it's I'm going to spend five grand on a garage roof. I'm feeling bad about it. Actually, I'd rather make them feel better about the fact that I'm investing in the house and that will increase the value or whatever it may be. And therefore that goes on to go, well, what's the messaging that would support that? How do you how do you know that's happening? How do you frame it to the customer so they start to build up those those mental accounts? So good. All right, thanks very much. And we look forward to talking to everybody next week and good luck in building your mental accounts cheers thanks very much for listening to the show today we really hope you've enjoyed it and if you have it'll be really great if you could leave us a review this has been the intuitive customer with colin shaw and professor ryan hamilton but it doesn't end here 
Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.